The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2. I'm Luke Edwards and joining us, it is a warm welcome back to the Women's Football Correspondent at the Mail Online. It's Catherine Batty. Hello, Catherine. Morning, Luke. Nice to see you. Yeah, and you too. And also joining us and making her debut, it's Her Football Hub's Georgia Golden. Hello, Georgia. Hi, Luke. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Uh, we'll get straight into it. We're going to look back at the Champions League group stage games that took place last midweek in Group A. Salma Paiello's double and Mariona Caldenti's strike helped holders at Barcelona overturn a half-time deficit and avoid a third straight defeat in Germany. Laura Freegang's close-range header just before the break put the four-time champions in front and gave them hope of matching the feat of Bayern in last year's group stage and Wolfsburg in the second leg of the 2021-22 semis. The other game in Group A saw Benfica narrowly see off Rosengard thanks to Kike Nazareth's goal, which means Rosengard have yet to get off the mark and they now face a double-header with Barcelona. While Benfica have two potentially decisive encounters against Frankfurt in their bid to be Portugal's first quarter-finalists. And Catherine, you feel Barca had a team to beat again in this competition? I think so. Um, they've, they've just been there and done it so many times and um, they're so, so hard to beat, even when they went behind the other night and they, was, they were trailing for you know, a reasonable amount of time. You just kind of backed them to come back and win. It was very similar to um, the final last year when they were they were two 0 down. The, it, part of your mind just thought, well, you know, Wolfsburg could go on and hit win here, but you just knew that Barcelona were going to come back. And I think, I think here Walsh should after the game, like if any team was going to come back and win that, it was going to be us. So they are going to be extremely hard to stop. Um, but in one-off games, sometimes you can get a result over them. That's that's what Emma Hayes always talks about with Chelsea because they weren't far away from you know knocking them out last year. They were. You could tell there was still a difference between them, but they weren't a million miles away. And if they'd been a bit more clinical in that first leg, perhaps you know they could have you know could have been slightly different. So um, it'll be interesting to see if perhaps Chelsea can maybe push them a little bit closer this year. Yeah, George, what do you think? Do you think Barcelona are the team to beat? I think you'd be a bit mad if you didn't say Barca are just the dominant force of the world at the moment. You know, the they've got all the the Spanish players who have absolutely blown everything out of the water. Um, yeah, they're they're a frightening a frightening side, and I think we're entering an, an era where Barca are the team. You know, we've had that with Leon for so long, um, and now there's. Was another force to be reckoned with and I think what Catherine said you know you, you would I think anybody who's followed Chelsea know that this is this is the one for them this is what they want so badly um but it's it's hard to see at the moment for me anyway it's hard to see anything but dominance for Barcelona like they just look they just look great in all areas um they're so experienced in in all walks of, of the competition, even the younger players look like they've been there for, for goodness knows how long. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's some team, it really, really is. So for me, I, I will always back Barca to be the uh, the ones to knock off the top spot. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough ask. I'd love to see it kind of go right down to the wire. I love stuff like that, but Barca, yeah, just frightening. Yeah, talking of Leon there in Group B, they took on Austrian side St. Paulton and they eased to their second win 
in the group, even if their dominance did not produce a nine goals like the game before at Slavia, it was Daniela van der Donk who headed them in front. She headed in Selma Batch's fourth-minute cross. And then early in the second half, Ada Hegerberg's shot was turned into her own net by the luckless Leonardo Balog. The other game in the group saw Bram make it two wins out of two. And the only goal came there after 21 minutes when Larissa Crummer glanced in Amelia Eklund's ball from close range. And Brand now have a six-point cushion over Slavia and St. Paul, which could prove to be an advantage ahead of their December doubleheader as they take on Leon. One of the matches in the round was in Group C. Paris Saint-Germain hosted Bayern Munich in the French capital. And it was former Chelsea defender Magda Eriksson who scored the only goal after 21 minutes as she tapped in from close range. And despite pressure from the French side, Bayern held on for their first win in the group. And the other game in that group saw Roma, who were having a great time of it in the group stages. They brush aside Ajax 3-0 at the Stadio Tre Fontana. Two goals from Valentini Giacinti and Manuela Giuliano saw Roma go top of the group on goal difference. And finally in Group D, it was a comfortable 4-1 win for Chelsea over Paris FC, thanks in part to a Sam Kerr hat-trick and a Sofit Ingle strike in injury time. And over in Sweden, Berke Hacken, they pulled off a shock result as they beat Real Madrid. Hacken only had three shots on target and had fallen behind to Signa Bruna early on, but he pulled it back thanks to two second-half goals from Rosa Cafagi and the Finn Katarina Casola. Uh, ladies, what were your takes from the rest of the Champions League action? Anything that stood out for you? Uh, the the fixture you just mentioned, Hacken, uh, brilliant. You know, I I, I think. I'm so unbiased when it. I don't have a women's team to follow, so I just I'm one of those that's like I just love love drama. I love an underdog story as well. So to see any side go against the odds and and take take a big important win, um, I I just I, I love that. I, yeah, I think Hacken and and to be top of the group as well, um, you know that's that's lovely. I you know I love I love things like that. Um, and then Chelsea, I think we have just mentioned Chelsea, so we won't we won't talk too much because there's plenty to discuss with them anyway, as there is every week. But um, yeah, Sam Kerr, just inevitable. I find myself using that word about her a lot because she really just is the ultimate package when you need somebody, she's right there. Um, and if Chelsea do go on and potentially win the Champions League or go right all the way down to the wire again, I think Sam will be the player that will be key in getting them as far as they can possibly go. So I think at the moment, yeah, the, the group stage is looking really, really interesting. You know, Roma and Bayern leading Group C, um, Frankfurt as well, right up there um, in Group A. So it's 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 looking good. It's looking exciting. I look I love when clashes don't often fit the narrative that many people would have first expected. So I'm excited to see how it plays out and see who goes through. Catherine, the gap does seem to be closing a little bit, doesn't it, in terms of the teams that are dominating aren't dominating quite as much. And, and you've got teams like Roma and, and Benfica and Ajax looking to break through, aren't you? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned PSG earlier and um, I think you were just saying they're, they're sat bottom of their group. It's mm. it's it's mad, really, when you consider how strong the French teams have been in this competition for so long. But, I mean, I watched PSG against Manchester United and they weren't massively convincing in terms of their finishing, I think, especially that first leg. I mean, they probably yeah. should have been about five and they're up at half time. And and we know that they've had a lot of problems off the pitch for the last few years as well. And whether that's maybe affecting things too. But really kind of interesting to see Roma coming through. Um we know that the Italian league is growing. Um the national team have obviously had a lot of problems um as well and haven't been maybe quite as as successful as they would have liked to have been. But that league is getting stronger and stronger. 
Um, and, and, and as you say, I mean, Chelsea, um, a fantastic win for them, really, when you consider, you know, how, how difficult Paris FC were for um, Arsenal and Wolfsburg in terms of, you know, knocking two big clubs out. That wasn't an easy game. And they did actually make it quite difficult for Chelsea. Sometimes you, you see a 4-1 scoreline and you think it was kind of a walk in the park. They did have to work really hard for that victory. Um, and Sam Kerr, again, you know, she spoke before the game about how she was kind of still not really fully fit after that injury at the World Cup and that she's only now starting to sort of feel a bit more like herself again, but still isn't at her peak. So I think Emma Hayes said if that's if that's Sam not at her peak, then I dread to think what she will be at her peak. So, um, yeah, great to see. Uh, talking of Chelsea, uh, we'll look at the WSL now and they remain three points clear at the top after an entertaining 5-2 win over Leicester City. Lauren James had Emma Hayes' side ahead after just two minutes and Courtney Neven's own goal had them two up before Yuti Rantala had Leicester back in it. And then the aforementioned Sam Kerr restored the two-goal lead, but Sam Tierney then had the score again before Chelsea finally took control in the second half with another goal from James and Aggie Beaver-Jones. And, and Chelsea dominated as expected in the end, Catherine. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to see Leicester kind of come back into that game. When once you saw it had gone to three nil, you just sort of wrote wrote that game off. Um, and all of a sudden, Leicester were made it three two, and you're thinking, oh, they're making a making a little bit of a game of it here. But uh, unfortunately, you know, Chelsea's Chelsea's strength in attack, and I think Leicester, the area they struggle with is in defence, as we saw with against Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Lauren James is just seems to be in fantastic form at the minute. I mean, it's great for England kind of going into this international break that she's you know, scoring, um, getting assists. He just looks so confident right now. And um, Chelsea just seems to be in fantastic form. And uh, again, maybe maybe in defence, they're not quite 100%. Obviously, they didn't have Millie Bright still. Um, so uh, maybe a couple of weaknesses at the back. But um, going forward, they just seem to be unstoppable right now. Yeah, and Georgia, before this game, in past meetings, it was 25-0 in Chelsea's favour. So does it show the improvement that Leicester are making that they gave Chelsea a bit of a scare at times? Yeah, I, I hoped you'd, you'd bring that up because I think um, I was one of the people last season who, <clears throat> I know I won't be alone in thinking, Leicester looked nailed on to, to be relegated. They had such a troublesome season. So how they clawed that back, you really have to applaud the team's morale. And, and you know, because anyone would feel down and out when I think they were still on zero points after I can't remember how many weeks and it just looked really bleak for Leicester um and then right at the end they, they managed to switch it up and and they found this form and and they, they clawed it back and then they've started obviously there was a point where everyone was like stop the count Leicester at top of the table because nobody could believe it um it is great to see because you know I think one thing we discuss in women's football is that the gulf in the WSL between the top and the bottom, you know, you do have these big score lines and I think they will always be there because there are teams like Chelsea who are just magnificent. Um, and then there's defenses that simply can't handle them, but for Leicester, okay, they did end up losing five, two, but it got to a point where, you know, they were, they were, they were back in it and, and it looked like they were going to really push. And, and there's been a few results like that as well. They, they look, so much better than what they did last season. I think right now, there's not really anything they need to be worried about because, as I said before, they were rooted to the bottom for, for so long and the writing looked to be on the wall. Um, but what are they now? They're 10th they're on... No, sorry, that was last season. 8th on 8 points, I think. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, like the, the bottom part of the table 
looks very, very interesting. There's not much between them. But in terms of Leicester, I just think, yeah, they, they look more confident. They look more comfortable. I think maybe last season put a scare in them and they've probably said, we don't want to do this again. We don't want to be locked in this battle. We, we deserve to be in the WSL and we're going to fight for our place there. And good on them because I, 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 loved, I love to see the, the smaller teams really giving it to, to the clubs that you think would absolutely rail them through. And they're putting up a fight and, and it's it's great to see. And yeah. And also it probably encouraged teams who are in the championship. I like your Bristol cities who've come up as well, that uh you know that you can sort of fight and scrap and stay in there and gradually improve and work your way up the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, it's it's te- it's testament to, to the growth of the game and and how the gap is being bridged and and you know, we are seeing less of these dominant score lines and also I think the fact that um it's not a runaway season it's we're seeing less of that there's more to fight for it's not oh we know who's going to be relegated and we know who's going to win before anything's even happened it's so much more open um even the top three so yeah it's 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 such a good it's such a good league to be in I mean obviously it's always been elite but I think the competition is closing and narrowing and we are seeing upset scores which are so entertaining especially for neutrals like it's it's great to see Chelsea and, and the likes dom- dominate but when there's upset scores it just it just adds to the drama it's great <laughs> there was no upset at Meadow Park there was a Catherine you, you saw Arsenal beat West Ham was it as comfortable as the scoreline suggested yeah I think so I mean West Ham did hit the post twice they should have actually equalized about a minute after Arsenal uh took the lead but it was just a difference in quality. Um, it was summed up by the two the two benches as well. I mean, um, the average age of West Ham's bench was was twenty, and they had just ninety five WSL appearances between them. They didn't have a reserve goalkeeper on the bench either, and I think Arsenal's average age of their bench was twenty eight, and they had about five hundred and twenty nine appearances between them. So, it's just completely two two teams that are at completely different stages, um, and and that's the challenge for. Rianne Skinner, really, I do feel a little bit for her in terms of, you know, she came in late, um, didn't have much time to to kind of build a, a squad, um, has got some really good individual players, but they just don't quite seem to be a team yet. Um, whereas Arsenal, they obviously, you know, they could kind of take their foot off the gas, really, at half-time, being 3-0 up. Um, but obviously should mention that, you know, Beth Mead scoring her first two goals, um in, in over a year since that injury and you could see kind of the emotion and the happiness on her face when that first one went in uh, brilliant goal top corner uh, left foot and the second one um, was was a bit more of a tap-in but uh, she still had some work to do and Alessia Russo actually did really well in the build-up as well so a comfortable day for Arsenal maybe on another day they don't get a little bit of luck and West Ham you know instead of hitting the post it goes in but um, they, they were well worth their victory yesterday I was going to say, I bet the atmosphere was uh, was incredible, especially when Beth Mead scored her first goal. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of seen Arsenal really, you know, their crowds and, and the atmosphere at their games in terms of the, the fans has really grown over the last uh, year and a half. And um, especially at Meadow Park, where you've got the fans behind the goal, they seem to be the ones that do most of the, the singing. And it was that end where Beth Mead scored. So obviously the cold kind of erupted. And um, yeah, even even though it's, it's not quite the Emirates Meadow Park for, for a number of reasons, but you do get a good atmosphere in there when it's sort of tightly packed and, um, you know, you can kind of hear everyone. So 
Um, yeah, it was it was great to see for Beth Mead, and she came off a bit. I think after an hour, sort of, um, obviously still coming back to fitness, and England may need her next week to hopefully reproduce some of those goals she scored yesterday. There's been a couple of articles around over the last week saying about the improvements that, that Spurs have made under Robert Villa Ham and what the secret is. Well, it's fair to say they came back down to earth with a bump as they were thumped at Manchester City in a late kickoff. A 15 minute first half hat trick from Bunny Shaw had them 3 0 down at the break, and it didn't get any better in the second half as Lauren Hemp, Jill Rod, and two goals from Laura Coombs saw them seven up and into third. And um, Georgia, I don't think anyone saw that coming, did they? No, I think um, Man City's form has, has been up for debate. Um, you know, I think they've they've had some hit and miss results. And I think they just took that personally and said, well, do you know what, watch this then, and came up with a 7-0 win. Um, Bunny Shaw is just an absolutely wonderful player. Like, she's absolutely brilliant. Up there again as the golden boot competitor. Um, she's leading the the goal scoring table at the moment um yeah I think as soon as she popped up with her first her first goal everybody kind of knew where that game was headed like City were just playing really good football Spurs struggled to maintain them completely you know you can see that from the scoreline but it, they just didn't look like they were in it really at all it was just all City um and then for for Laura Coombs as well someone who I love her story because I think she was down and out a little. She was really struggling for appearances and now she's she's had England call-ups and she's back on the score sheet again and she's she's playing. She looks she looks great. She looks the best she's looked in a very long time. So great for her to get a brace. But um yeah, I think that was a huge, huge result for City. Um kind of to stop some murmurs, I think, going on at the moment. I think there was a lot of debate around what is happening with City in terms of challenging for Champions League and potentially the title. Um, but do you think the derby, though, do you think the derby dispelled some of that, though, last week? Because obviously they oh, had a bad sure. result against Brighton and then they went in and really sort of outplayed Manchester United at Old Trafford, didn't they? For sure. Like, that was that was a statement win. Um, I think they really needed that. But then obviously they went and were held by Leicester in the cup and Leicester came away with the bonus point on penalties. So it's, it's the yo-yo kind of thing with City at the moment. You know, you go and have this statement win against your, your fiercest rivals on their home soil and then you struggle to come away with because I think for City that Leicester that Leicester uh, draw would have felt a lot worse than what it was and for Leicester that would have been massive but then you come and bounce back for 7-0 against Spurs and this is what I mean it's it's a very interesting campaign to follow is Man City's I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes because um there is a real mixed bag of of results and you know, even the 4-3 against Liverpool, that was really tightly contested. Um, I'm interested to, to see what happened. And then again, just looking back at their results, 1-0 against Leicester in the league. Mm. Um, it's not, there's, there's no, there's not any real consistency. It's kind of back and forth. I mean, we saw them against Chelsea earlier in the season, Catherine, and they were, they were really good. They were unlucky. Obviously, they ended up with nine men. Um could that performance and, and sort of the performances the last couple of weeks in the league especially suggest that they are title contenders? To be fair, to be fair to City, I think their performances have always been good. I think the, the games that they've lost, they have been unlucky and not without making excuses for them. Against Arsenal, I think they could, on another day, they'd have won that game. 
um, and the same with Brighton, but they just weren't clinical enough. Um, they had chances. They just didn't take them, especially against Brighton. I mean, I don't know how they didn't score. Um, I mean, Brighton did obviously a very good job, defended well, uh, but City had enough chances to win that game. And and now I think they've you know obviously yesterday against Tottenham suddenly um, I think every chance they had they probably probably put away they probably could have even had more goals but you know when when they are clinical that's that's what they can do and we saw them they were they were it's the same at Old Trafford last week I mean when they went one nil down they they'd had about three chances already to be to be um, ahead and uh, I wondered whether it was going to be another one of those days and then eventually they kind of got into their rhythm and and, and started taking some of those chances and. That's got to be the key for for City to to build some consistency and to get those results. They've they've got to take some of the chances because they they create so many. They create so many chances in games because because of the players that they've got. Um, and I think the way to try and play against City is almost kind of the route that Brighton went down in, is just trying to defend. Whereas I think Tottenham, you know, with the new style that they've got. Um, they try to be probably a bit too ambitious and and I don't want to criticize teams for doing that but when you if you do actually try and have a go at city a little bit you're going to leave yourself exposed and you, you risk you risk kind of what happened um yesterday was if you maybe try and play that low block and frustrate them you've perhaps got more of a chance of actually getting something George do you think that's just a blip then for Spurs that result Spurs are are, are another one because I know last season um I was I was one of the one of the people singing their praises um, because I think there's there's been a, a long going conversation. I'm using air quotes here. The the best of the rest, and there's been times where Everton have been up there in that conversation, same as Reading, um, and then Spurs were creeping into that bracket as well. Um, and I just think they you know they were looking they were looking solid, and I, I'm not I'm not sure is is my honest honest opinion. Um, I really like Spurs as a team. I think they've got some really quality players. I think Ash Neville is is seriously underrated, deserves a lot more plaudits. Um, I think she's absolutely solid. But um, yeah, the 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 seven nil. I mean, it's that's hard to that's obviously hard to bounce back from. But they they have they have put some good performances in. Um, I would like to say it's a blip, but they also have Man United next, so. It, I suppose it, the proof will be in the pudding in how they kind of return against that. Because if they can get a result against United, then that's a huge statement coming off the back of such a big loss. But, you know, we'll have to see. Absolutely, yeah. And and that result for Gareth Taylor's side, Manchester City, uh, moved them back into third after they'd been leapfrogged by City rivals United in the early kickoff. Hinata Miyazawa scored her first goal for the Reds with Nikita Paris adding a second as Manchester United won 2-0 away at Bristol City in the early kickoff, Both of those goals came in the second half. The result means the home side stay bottom of the table in front of a record crowd of 14,138 at Ashton Gate. There was plenty in the performance to encourage manager Lauren Smith and the side. And, and George and Mark Skinner said he can see the future, what it is like for them, and he feels it is bright. And Do you feel this side will really peak over the next year or so? I'd like to think so. Yeah, I think there's there's special things happening, and the the you know people forget United are still very much in their infancy. Um, they're not. They're they're still a, a new club, um, and yeah, I, th- I think them. What's going on at the moment is something to feel excited about. Um, the fact that they, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that they got Champions League football um, was was a really big statement. 
beat their rivals to that. That's another big statement. Um, and then they're very much firmly in the conversation now as the top three. There was a time where people were unsure whether it was too early to say that, but now, yeah, definitely. When you talk about top three WSL sides, you think of Manchester United. Um, and I think at, at the top the top cluster, um, it could be another interesting season. But yeah, they've got they've got great players, and and I think how they've managed. You know, when they lost on Abache and Alessio Russo, a lot of people were, oh, how are they going to kind of deal with that? But they're playing well. Um, they're putting in the performances. Obviously, the Old Trafford loss won't have been taken kindly, but you, you move on, and you know you, when you play top flight football, that's non-stop like the WSL. You can't afford to dwell on on defeats you know you need you need to push there's always something to fight for and now that they've had their taste of european football they will want that as a as a benchmark every single season that will probably be the absolute minimum they're aiming for interestingly though catherine with city recovering do you think top three is beyond man united this season i don't think it's beyond them i think it's a long season um and we saw kind of last year how injuries can affect teams. I mean, you know, Arsenal kind of got dragged into that that third place um, battle in the end and actually finished below Man United when before kind of Christmas we were talking about them as title contenders and we kind of saw that four-way title race for, for quite a long period of time and we could have that again. I know it, it sort of feels like Chelsea are kind of quite far away but obviously having that next game against Arsenal and whether whether that could kind of shake things up a little bit. Um, Chelsea obviously got to play Man United in January too. So um, the, the top teams have still got to play each other and um, that could kind of see the position switch around slightly. Um, I do think it's going to be tricky for United this this season. They got a little bit of luck against Bristol, especially with that first goal that took a quite a big deflection. Um, I know there's been some difficulties with the forward players um, they've got they brought in a lot of players from different countries um, Miyazawa JC uh, all speaking different languages and um, they're still trying to sort of learn how to communicate with each other and that's going to take a little bit of time still as well um, but as I say I mean again if they'd kind of you know not made mistakes in defence last week against City they could have got a better result I think that seems to have been part of the issue this season and I think they are missing on a batch quite a lot um they haven't got that depth at full back especially with Gabby George's injury and beyond that if anything happened to one of the two center backs Maya Letizia or Millie Turner I would I would really worry for them in defense because the the options after them aren't as strong and the depth isn't really there I think that's the that's the issue for United whereas last season they were so strong in defense I think they only conceded about 12 goals all season and they're already on nine this this year, so you can kind of see the difference there. And I think that's going to be possibly the key. I, I do think they'll need to strengthen in January as well to to have another good go at it. So, um, yeah, definitely not beyond them, but it, it will be a tough ask. You had any juicy transfer rumours, Catherine, that you want to share with us that they might who they might strengthen with? Oh, still it's still early, Luke. It's still early, but I do think. I do think they'll probably go for a fullback just because of how long Gabby George is going to be out. And I think they probably wanted another fullback anyway um, in, in the summer that they didn't get. Um, and, and and Jade Riviera, who I think is a very good young player, still got a lot of learning to do, but also has had some injury problems. So you kind of worry a little bit about her as to have, how if she's going to stay fit for the whole season. So I do think they'll look at that fullback area possibly. And Georgia for Bristol City, they've had a, a tough start with who they've had to play. But Warren Smith is pretty encouraged. Are you as encouraged as her? I think if you compare from last season, as I mentioned it earlier in the show, um, 
Leicester were were on zero points for a long time. But looking at the bottom of the table, you've got West Ham and Bristol both level on four. So being already off the mark and already level with another side, it's promising. And when you're in a relegation fight, you take what you can get. So I think that the, you know, I said earlier, the, the writing looked to be on the wall for Leicester and then they turned it around. Like there's, there's no hint of that at the moment. Anything could happen. Obviously, Aston Villa are surprisingly struggling as well. Um, they're just two points ahead. And then obviously Brighton one ahead of those. Um, so it, it's it's as wide open at the bottom as I think the the top three battle is. Um, anything could happen between now and, and as Catherine said earlier, it's a long season. There's still a lot of time to go. Anything could happen. And the WSL is known for its surprise results. There, there could be one huge draw or a three-pointer for, for Bristol or for West Ham that could completely flip the narrative between now and and the end of the and the end of the term so there's really nothing i could say in terms of a prediction because um anything anything could happen and obviously bristol are no strangers to the wsl it's it's not like this is their first their first rodeo so yeah it's it, there's a lot to play for there's a lot to come and there's a lot of excitement i think i think the, the bottom of the table scrap is just as if not more entertaining than it is at the top Interesting that so after this weekend there's been a couple of articles floating around that saying that they feel the gap between the top four and the rest is growing. Um we've had discussions about some teams are making it harder now for the top teams. do you think it is still the top four and the rest and the gap is there or do you think it is closing? What what do you both think? You you look you look at a team like Brighton who I think I think the trouble with the teams that aren't in the top four is that consistency because sometimes they can have a great week. You can see Brighton take a point off Man United, beat Man City, and then lose 4-0 against Liverpool. There's just no rhyme or reason to it. And um, I think that's the case for a lot of these clubs is that consistency. They can kind of get these maybe not one-off performances, but these sort of big performances against the big clubs on, on occasions and then go and lose to a team sort of, you know, in and around them. Um, but then, but then you see obviously West Ham get battered five 0 by Man United and lose three 0 against Arsenal. So I don't. It, it, it's on a club by club basis. I think it's it's hard to kind of say that it's growing between everyone. Um, I do think you can get those results that that maybe cause surprise sometimes. Um, and I, I do think the, the clubs you know below the top four are competing better. Um, I don't think we're we'll. I was going to say we, I don't think we'll see some huge scores, but we did see obviously Tottenham lose seven 0 the other night, but. I don't think we'll kind of see those nine nils that we saw of Leicester, for example, you know, for, for a couple of years ago. So it's hard to say. I think it's just that lack of consistency for the teams below the top four. Yeah, it's. I think Liverpool as well are another interesting team to highlight because they started the, the campaign off strong. You know, they, they beat Arsenal 1-0 away as well. That would have been huge for them. Um, but then inevitably lost to, to Everton. Um, that's becoming a, a nightmare pattern that I'm sure they're going to try and break soon. But yeah, as Catherine said, it's the consistency. And then there was the, the one-all draw against West Ham. Probably fixtures, Liverpool and Matt Beard would have thought they would have come away with three points. Um, especially after, you know, the, the win against Arsenal, you, you'd think that would set the precedent of we're going to have a strong season. Um, so I think, I think yeah, the, there's there is still... It, it, there's not a, a great many teams who you could say are, are pushing for top three. Um, the, the, as you say, the the gap is uh, it's not gargantuan. Is it closing? And yes, I do I do believe it is closing. But I think right now I couldn't sit here and tell you that 
your likes of Liverpool and Spurs are going to be at the top challenging for Champions League right now. I'd like to see a lot more open race in the future. I think that would be brilliant for the league. It'd be brilliant for the neutrals. But right now, it is those top four, I think, still leading the pack. And hopefully it will open as the seasons go on. Yeah, the inconsistency behind is, is, is probably the problem for the other teams. Exercise. It doesn't have to mean Lycra or a fancy gym membership. All you need is 10 minutes and you. Because a regular brisk 10-minute walk is a great way to get more active. Whether that's walking to the shops or getting off the bus to stop early. Picking up the pace and getting your heart pumping can make a real difference to your health. So, to see how much brisk walking you're doing and how you can fit more into your day, download the free Active 10 app. Better health. Let's do this. The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. So you mentioned Liverpool there, Georgia, and uh, over on Merseyside, Gemma Bonner scored for the first time in her second stint at Liverpool as they cruised to a comfortable victory over Brighton at Prenton Park. She was presented with a special shirt and a plaque in a pre-match ceremony by Ian Callaghan, who was a club's men's record appearance holder. And she had double the reason to celebrate when she headed home Maria Hobbingen's corner. Shanice van der Sanden made it 2-0 before Kerry Holland nodded home and Sophie Roman Haag added a fourth as Liverpool returned to winning ways following that 5-1 defeat last week by Chelsea. And Georgia van der Sanden said this was the best performance of the season. And considering the opposition, would you agree with her? I think it it was um, probably a statement result for sure. Um... It was great to see Van der Sanden um, on the on the score sheet. You know, I think Liverpool's story is very interesting because they, you know, they're two time winners. I feel like a lot of people actually forget that um, because they fell off the radar. They they had that exodus, which saw the likes of Alex Greenwood leave the club. Uh, Gemma left. You know, I, I, she was captain, and then she left. I can't remember how many. I think it was twelve players overall. Um, Neil Redfern came in, and it was. It was such a tricky time for Liverpool. They were really in uh, a team in transition. Um, just didn't seem like anything was going their way. And then obviously there was the relegation, which I think surprised some, but also didn't for others because the way it was kind of, I don't want to use the term declining, but they were really struggling. Um, and then I think they've taken the time to reform, come back up. They've got Matt Beard and they've they've brought in you know, they've got players back like Van der Sanden and Bonner. Um, so I think it was a special performance, um, especially for Gemma Bonner. Um, and yeah, I think I think this uh, this looks like it is going to be a strong season for Liverpool. I remember the the season when they went down and it just there was just that feeling of, you know, that sinking feeling just based on the results they were getting, just nothing was going their way. But they look a different entity now. They, they're really on the up again. Um, as we've just mentioned about the gap, I, I can't see them pushing top three anytime soon, but I don't think they're a team that needs to be worrying about anything. I think they'll they'll have comfortable finishes for the foreseeable, and then maybe eventually they, they will get back up there as, as title challengers if they can strengthen and if the gap closes. But yeah, it's it, it, it's good to see Liverpool, who, who are WSL heavyweights, performing and, and getting these results again. And the Merseyside rivals, Everton, got their second Super League win of the season thanks to Natalie Bjorn's coolly converted penalty as they won away at Aston Villa. The game was played at Villa Park and Everton went in front early in the second half. 
It was uh, Sarah Holmgaard knocking it across the face of the goal and in off defender Anna Patton. But they did equalise Aston Villa through Rachel Daly. She finished smartly at the near post. But Everton were back in front after Hansen upended Heather Payne in the box. And there was Bjorn, who was on as a half-time substitute to send Villa goalkeeper Daphne van Domsel had a wrong way from the penalty spot. And fun fact for you, this was the sixth goal that Aston Villa have conceded to a substitute this season, so they must be filled with dread when they see a substitute come on. But uh, they were brought back down to earth, Villa, weren't they, with this result? Was it a result that surprised you, Catherine? It was a little bit, because I think we've seen Aston Villa kind of, you know, get those two wins against Bristol and um, West Ham, and we kind of expect them to kick on a little bit. Uh, I watched them against Bristol and they weren't they weren't kind of fantastic, but they were the better team. And you could sort of see that, you know, Ken Zadali being back in, in the squad uh, had really helped them. And they looked to be building a little bit of momentum. Um, but I mean, it's a fantastic win for Everton because I was starting to get a little bit worried for them in terms of some of the results they've had. I know they had that big win at Liverpool, but... Um, you know, they've had a couple of shocking Conti Cup results. Um, obviously, Nicolene Sorensen's retiring now. Um, so it's it's not been a fantastic kind of start for them. They had a bit of a chaotic summer, um, losing Gabby George right before um, on, on transfer deadline day even. So uh, it wasn't ideal kind of going into this season. But I do think they've got enough in their, in their team um, to, to kind of, you know, avoid being properly dragged into that relegation battle. I think they might be in and around there a little bit, but I do think they've got enough to kind of stay clear of it um, without kind of being right in the thick of it. And I do think Brian Sorensen's a good manager as well. So they've got somebody um, somebody there who obviously can can kind of get them play, get the points on the board, um, so to speak. But uh, for Villa, I think I think it's just again a little bit maybe coming back down to earth for them because they had they were so good last season, so so strong. Um, they've signed you know quite a new quite a number of players that I think was always going to kind of take time for them to settle in, and it's probably asking too much for them to kind of repeat what they did last season and you know really kind of push the the top four and um, you know get up the up the table again. So I think maybe it'll take until after Christmas, until we kind of really see them get into get into their groove a little bit, because um, it does feel like they're still a little bit disjointed. Yeah, that was a big win for Everton, as we mentioned. Um, it puts them now up to eighth here, four points clear of the relegation zone. And we've talked about Everton and Villa and Liverpool potentially being best of the rest. Who do you think could be best of the rest this season underneath that, that top four that we've already talked about? For me, I think it's Liverpool. Um if, if they kind of continue the way they're going and also if they maybe strengthen in January as well, just because they're a huge club, Liverpool. And, and, and as George said, they've, they've, they have, they are a team that has won the WSL before they've got, and they have got a manager that, you know, was the manager who won, won it, the title with them. So um, they seem to be really, really well improved. They're a well-organised team. Um, they've kind of added goals to their game, which maybe they were, lacking in last season um, and as I say they're a huge club we shouldn't really be kind of sitting here going oh it's fantastic for sort of little old Liverpool to um, be up there in fifth like they're, I know I know that they've not got the strength of Chelsea or Arsenal and that you know they haven't kind of they're not quite on that level yet but they are a massive massive club and you know they should be that should be their aim their, their aim should be to be in and around that top four at competing and um, I think Matt Beard's a fantastic manager maybe hasn't always got the credit he deserves. Um, he's done a great job there. And if they keep improving, I think they could be the team that sort of 
sitting out just outside the top four this season. It's changed, hasn't it? I think if you'd asked me this last season, the the, the answer would have been Aston Villa, undeniably. Mm. Um, such a good season. They were a thorn in the side for Man City. Um, but yeah, just it, it's it's so different now. And I think as well, the, I mentioned earlier, Spurs probably would have been a shout for me too. But based on this season, yeah, I probably agree with Catherine. I think I'll, I'll be surprised if if uh, Liverpool aren't kind of in the area where they are now, I, I really don't see them having some dramatic dip in form, which sees them t- more towards the bottom end of the table. But your likes of Villa and Brighton, who have been up there in the best of the rest conversation for a while, just struggling to get through the gears, I think, at the moment. Um, and then I think Leicester, I don't want to sound negative, but I think you know obviously we had we had our fun of, of saying you know they were the top of the league and stuff but that, that was never it was never going to last respectfully so I think where they are now as well is probably where I see them finishing um and in the table on paper it's obviously between Liverpool and Spurs but in terms of kind of how they've both looked and how I think it might go yeah I think probably Liverpool in fifth just outside I mean I think the gap will probably be big because what was it? I think 10 points between fourth and fifth last season. So while Villa were up there, the gap was still quite large. So I can see it being similar this season. But if you're asking me who will be fifth, I think, yeah, Liverpool is a very good shout. Coming up, we have got the Nations League fixtures this coming week. This was the last WSL uh, round before the international break. And this is the last international break of the year. And uh, two huge games, Catherine, not only to like see if they can qualify for the Nations League next round, but also for the Olympics for Team GB as well. And a couple of tough games coming up. And there was a blow announced over the last few days that Millie Bright won't be in the in the squad. She's had to pull out due to injury. So they've called up Millie Turner from Manchester United, who's uncapped, of course. So a few problems for Serena Wiegmann. Yeah, we're not used to Serena uh, being in this position where she's got two must-win games. Uh, coming off the back of what was, you know, a really bad defeat in Belgium last month, um, I do think that Netherlands game is is that's that's make or break. If if England don't win that, then the Scotland game almost becomes not irrelevant because obviously you know you have the possibility of where you finish in the table. But if they if they don't beat the Netherlands, then that kind of Olympic qualification is gone. And that's going to be a really, really tricky game because um, we saw how difficult it was away at the Netherlands. Um, you know, Miedemar is now back. Um, Palova is in fantastic form. I mean, Berenstein absolutely killed England's defence in the first game. Um, if she could be a bit more clinical, they probably would have won by, by more goals. And now you're facing the prospect of these must two must-win games without Millie Bright, who has obviously served as captain um, in the absence of Leah Williamson. And... Beyond Alex Greenwood and Lucy Bronze, that the number of caps in in the defenders in that squad is quite low. I think Jess Carter's on about twenty seven, and you wouldn't say she's inexperienced, but um, you know if you're looking at her as one of the most experienced now in that defence, it's sort of a bit concerning. Um, I do think she'll have to play back four because when she played the back five in the first half against the Netherlands, it really didn't work and. I don't think she's now got the players to play a back five because she's not got enough centre-backs. Um, I think it'd be a risk to throw in somebody like Maya Letizia, who's only got two caps. You could throw in Lotta Ruben Moy, who's been playing quite well for Arsenal, but again, hasn't got much experience for England, really, in, in the big games. Um, would be a, a big ask to throw her in, especially into a back five, but she doesn't really play for Arsenal that much either. 
So I think you're going to have to play a back four of, of Bronze, Greenwood, Carter and, and probably Neve Charles, who's been playing fantastically for Chelsea. But again, Neve Charles, you know, it's a big ask for her too. Um, has been playing well for club, but um, throwing and throwing her in into what is, you know, a really difficult game. It's going to be a big ask for England, but we have kind of seen them stand up to these challenges before um, when when cards have kind of been against them. So um, I'm really interested to see kind of how it goes and perhaps if, if the result doesn't go England's way, kind of what the reaction is afterwards. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute. But one thing I was going to throw back at you, Catherine, was the Wembley facts. I mean, if it was a, maybe a Premier League ground, Netherlands maybe will feel it slightly even, but do you think... With it being Wembley, that much bigger ground will be a big home advantage. A lot of the players have played there in the Euros. That that could see them over the line, couldn't it? I think it could be it could be a deciding factor, and and hopefully the crowd really gets behind England and they thrive off that atmosphere. Um, we know that sometimes that can be a pressure, especially when it's a game you've got to win. But given England have experienced Wembley so many times and have played in the Euros final there and have played the finalism there. They shouldn't really be phased by that. Um, so hopefully, yeah, they can kind of feed off that crowd. And the good thing, while while there's problems in defence, the good thing is that England's attackers seem to be in fantastic form. I mean, Lauren Hemp, Lauren James, um, even Alessia Russo might not be scoring the goals, but she's playing very well for Arsenal at the minute. And uh, Chloe Kelly's in brilliant form for Man City. It's really big. We've got so many options kind of going forward to choose from. Um, and we know that England might have to win that game by two goals as well against the Netherlands, depending on... That um that result between um the Netherlands and Belgium uh, in the second game, so they're, they're going to have to kind of go through it and almost maybe throw caution to the wind a little bit and go go and try and score as many goals as possible and sort of forget about defending perhaps. Yeah, and then they've got to go to Hamden next, haven't they? And, and like you say, the Netherlands and Belgium may not collude's the right word, but if they both know they only maybe need a draw to get through, they, they could just end up sort of playing out a draw and England have got to go to Scotland and Scotland will be relishing, especially if England don't get a positive result against Netherlands or even if they do, Scotland will be relishing kind of looking to knock them out, won't they? Really strange situation of any Scotland players who think they might have a chance of getting that Olympic squad thinking, well, if we knock England out, we're sort yeah. of getting rid of our any chance of us playing in the Olympics. But we also know that probably... The players that would have had the best chance, obviously Caroline Weir, who's done her ACL, and probably Aaron Cuthbert now is the only one in that squad, realistically, who you would say could get into to any sort of Olympic team. So, um, yeah, I mean, Scotland will, especially, as you say, at, at Hampden Park, uh, I don't know how many tickets they've sold for that, but if they, if they get a big crowd, I imagine, it, I imagine they'll have sold a, a, a reasonable amount. Um, but I think... You would back England to win it, really. Like if they if they beat the Netherlands, then if they if they then didn't beat Scotland, you'd have to say that would be a real big disappointment um, for them. Especially as you say now with with Caroline Weir's done her ACL, um, that's a huge miss for them. And you've seen kind of in the group how Scotland did very well in their first two games. They pushed England close and then they got a draw against Belgium. But then since since they've been without Caroline Weir, their results haven't been as good, and it has been a lot more difficult for them. So. Um, I would say, even even if England even if England don't beat the Netherlands and that game kind of becomes academic in terms of topping the group, I would still I would still back England to win it. Yeah, you're both in the media, and finally, if England don't qualify, um, obviously Serena Vigman's walked on water a bit with the Euro thing, and then with the World Cup, even though they reached the final, the performances weren't quite as dynamic as in the Euros, and that's kind of gone into the Nations League. So, 
What would the reaction be then if they didn't get through? Do you think it'd be the first time she's really been heavily criticised? I mean, she has been criticised a bit, but heavily criticised. I think she would. I think she'd have to be kind of take, face some criticism. I think the the questions that you would ask of her is the lack of rotation over the years. You know, we've seen her play our strongest team sometimes in games where England could have rotated and given you know younger players. Uh, more experience, and this is what I'm saying with with the defenders. You know, so we've we've kind of almost seen some likes of Millie Bright and Lucy Bronze and and Alex Greenwood all, all overplayed at times when it feels like they maybe could have been rested. And you look at somebody like Maya Letizia, who who I think is a really great up and coming player. She's got two caps, and you're now sort of sat here thinking, well, she maybe didn't play particularly well against Manchester City, but barring that, she's had a fantastic start to the season with United. She had a brilliant season last year. You you feel like she could go and play against Netherlands at Wembley, but also you think, well, she's it'd be a lot to just throw her in, having only played for England twice, and that's just because she's not really had the opportunities to play before. And I think that's where you've got to say to Serena, well, do you regret not rotating now? Now you're in a position where you've not got Millie Bright, you've not got Lee Williamson, um, and you're having to call on players that perhaps don't have the experience in in these huge games that you need to win. Um, and also, I think maybe a uh, a lack of kind of planning for the future at times, you know, again, that Lucy Bronze is another one I think has perhaps been overplayed and there, there isn't really a, they see Maya Letizia as a right back, but she's playing centre back for Manchester United. I mean, I don't know what the long term succession plan is there for when Lucy Bronze eventually does retire from international football, who is going to replace her? Because we've, we've not really seen anyone tried and tested there. I mean, maybe Esme Morgan can play it right back, but she sees herself more as a centre half. There's, it's 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 one of those sort of situations where I think maybe, you know, Serena could have rotated a little bit more uh, earlier in earlier in the year. Uh, I don't think she's given a debut this year, which kind of sort of says it all. So um, mm-hmm. that will be that will be the question marks over her. But obviously, knowing Serena, she'll probably now go and win these two games, and we'll 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 not be asking any of these questions. Georgia, what are your thoughts quickly on it? I think yeah, it will be. I think fans will be stunned if uh, they've fallen at this hurdle after, I think you put it quite well, walking on water, you know, the Euros was a fairy tale. I think anybody who, media fans, anybody who who went through that journey will tell you how special it was. And, you know, Catherine said about the, the Wembley vibe, you know, Wembley was absolutely electric, one of the best atmospheres ever. And, and the fans will really play a part. And I think trying to carry England through these really big two games and then, Yes, the World Cup wasn't as convincing as some of the Euros games were, but they got all the way. And and I think there was so many people who thought that they were going to like do the double, go on and win it. Um, and obviously there's heartbreak, but that's not a bad record at all. And then to, to kind of tumble out um, here and, and, and not qualify for the Olympics, I think that will, that will be a, a shock. But the, England have performed well under pressure. Um, I think looking at the, the squad, yes, there is the kind of the lack of seniority i suppose in the defenders but the the forwards just that that's a very 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 nice attack um and if anybody can do it it's it's serena and it's england so i think just need a little bit of a, a little bit of hope and uh yeah hopefully it plays out because they'll they'll know how much is rided on this and um that might be enough to to see them through but i i really i really do hope they can kind of come up clutch and get this done because it, it will be quite the shock if they're not able to get it done after how special of a of a few years that they've had. So it was 
FA Cup weekend this weekend and it was the second round and Chatham Town had an absolute thriller against AFC Wimbledon. The Dons trailed 4-1 with half an hour to play but they fought back to level with goals from Hannah Billingham, Ashley Hinks and debutant Daisy McLaughlin. But there was still time for one more twist as Chatham were awarded a spot kick in injury time and Jenkins held on to send a third tier host through against their valiant visitors from the division below and you can see that on Twitter, if you go on Chat and Town, you can see the dramatic penalty and the scenes after. Um, there was no shortage of upsets, one of which came at Liverpool Feds, as the FA National League Division One North side Durham Sestria knocked out their Northern Premier Division host. It was Faye Dale scoring the only goal of the game there in the 54th minute. Now we talked about Leeds Mardonians last week. They were they were knocked out by Darwin. And Darwin have done it again. They are the lowest-ranked team left in it. They are the sixth tier, and they've reached the third round of the Women's FA Cup with a dramatic win over Leeds United, who are at the fourth tier, and they won on penalties. The Salmonesses, they are nicknamed as, which is a great nickname for a team. They won 4-3 on spot kicks in the end after it finished 1-1. Other games... Saw Burnley, they were big winners, 9-1 against Annick Town. West Bromwich Albion needed extra time to get past Needham Market. Marion Mahmood netting twice there as the Baggies won 3-0. Norwich City produced one of the results of the first round, knocking out Hashtag United, but saw their run ended at home to Boldmere St. Michael's. AFC Bournemouth, they won 2-1 away. They left it late, 92nd minute there. It was a, a goal from Chloe Gilroy. Uh, they won at Swindon Town's county ground, and that meant the Cherries into the third round for the first time in their history. And the draw will take place at 3pm on Monday. We're recording this on Monday, so it'll be later on. You'll probably, a lot of you will be listening to the podcast now and will know what the draw is. But uh, it's a fantastic stage of the competition, this Georgia, isn't it? For, like I say, teams who maybe you don't hear a lot about, it's their chance to to go into the spotlight and the championship teams coming at this round. Yeah, it, it, it's special, the FA Cup, isn't it? Because it um, it just puts other clubs on the map, I guess. Like if you're mainly a supporter of kind of like the WSL sides and you don't really venture towards the lower tiers, it's great to see, um, especially when you figure out your local team as well. Like I always find that quite interesting because you know, everybody loves an Arsenal, a Chelsea, a Man United. Um, when you find out that... Uh, you know your local team is is into a certain round of a tournament and then that's that's how that's how it spreads and how you get bums on seats so it, it's great and i think for a lot of clubs it's it's their chance of playing teams that they would probably never think to come across uh, in any other walks of of tournaments so yeah it's the the fa club in this stage is is always electric and exciting and wholesome i think is is the word i would use for this point of the tournament and also with the uh... The money that comes with it now, I mean, the uplift comes into effect from this round. So winning teams at this next stage get £35,000 each, which is a lot of money, especially for a team lower down in the women's football pyramid. Yeah, the the gap in, par- in pay parities, obviously, it's it's still an ongoing thing. There's still a lot of work to be done. But yeah, for because we, we've seen before lower sides that have reached maybe the third and fourth round um and it's made history it's it's been like earth shattering for, for that club um so if they can get through 
and and get you know quite quite a nice a nice payment through it then that will do wonders for them um because at the end of the day any investment that they can get through through anything will will always be hugely hugely beneficial especially for clubs lower down the pyramid so yeah the the point of 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 this part of the tournament is huge um and you know you've got your newcastle and teams like that who are doing really well at the moment and it's it's good to see them more firmly on the radar and getting more coverage and things like that because it's i think for me it's when it's there's a premier a men's premier league club and the women's side is further down in the pyramid than you might expect them to be like your newcastles for example so it's always good to, to see them have a real good run at something um obviously no one will back them to, to go all the way but even if they just pick up a you know a, a, ni- a nice amount of money for how far they've gotten that that's that's something to, to be proud of for sure yeah if you're wondering where the championship action was there, there was nowhere no games on, in this round taking place which i think will be a relief to everyone they all needed a bit of a lie down i think after a, <laughs> what's been a hectic start to the championship season Brill, well well catherine george thanks very much for joining us thank you for having me yeah likewise thank you that is it. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms and, and give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and we're on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2.